Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our 30-day podcast, Who Are You? My name is Danny Strange. And it's good to be back with you. My name is AJ Venegas. And today, we tackle the topic, You Are Worth It. We are a third of the way there, Pastor Danny. And, uh, you know, we just love the gospel so much here at Three Crosses that we decided to take two episodes to kind of talk about it. Uh, we Last episode, we got through the story of Israel, Jesus' claim as the new Adam, his birth, his life. And we mentioned Irenaeus and this beautiful uh, theologian back in the first and second century. And uh, today we're going to complete the paradigm, talking about how his death, resurrection, and ascension contribute to our understanding of the image of God. So let's start with this first concept, death and resurrection, thinking about the cross and how that impacts the image of God. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of things about um, atonement theory when it comes to talking about the cross. I've heard a lot of different things, but I really haven't heard a conversation around how the image of God is impacted by what Jesus did for us on, on that cross when he died and rose again three days later. And so what does this core tenet of the gospel, his death and resurrection, how does it help us understand what it means that Jesus is the true image of God and that I am an image bearer of God as well? Yeah, the atonement or Jesus' death on the cross and the significance of that is a theory, like you said, that has a ton of different answers to that question. Uh, there's a great book. Scott McKnight wrote a book called A Community Called Atonement that kind of talks about all these different facets, like a diamond, of all the things that was accomplished or were accomplished on the cross through Christ's death. And so we think of things like sin was atoned for and the sin problem was beaten. We think of things like death being beaten when he comes out of the tomb, right? And so there's all these different aspects of what happens when Jesus dies for us. But through the lens of the image of God, I've got a couple of different answers for you. One is kind of back to where we started in our series about us being created in the image of God, of us being rulers and artisans on this planet. That's part of we are representing God on this planet. And, and one question that exists throughout the ages is for Jesus to be king, for Jesus to ascend to his throne, uh, a king just can't step onto a throne. He's got to beat the enemy first. He's got to vanquish, right, the, the enemy of the state before he can say, okay, now we've beaten it. And we, we've talked a lot in our podcasts and other places about who is the enemy of Jesus. And we see on the cross and we see in the empty tomb that the enemy of Jesus is sin. The enemy of Jesus is death. The enemy of Jesus is Satan and the enemy. And so on the cross and in the empty tomb, if we move farther, we see Jesus as the king who's about to ascend in the ascension to his throne. He is beating the enemy of sin and death uh, on behalf of these people so that when we follow in Christ's footsteps, we too beat death as well. We don't have to conquer Satan. Jesus did. We don't have to conquer death. Jesus did. But because he conquered death, because he paid for sin, because he conquered Satan, we can follow him into eternal life. And so there's some aspect of he's doing what we can't do by being the true reigning king on this planet over sin and death. And there's also a concept, like Jesus himself said, about, about what it means for someone to suffer and die and be raised again. Right? Jesus says, unless a seed falls on the ground and dies, it will not bear fruit. And this is something that you may have heard if you've read any church history. Justin Martyr had that famous quote that said, the, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Justin Martyr talks a lot in his writings about the power of death as a seed. 
And he even writes letters to non-Christian government officials and says things like, you know what, in the same way a seed can be planted in the ground and have in it all the power for new life and resurrection, we believe as a church that when our bodies, our bones, are planted in the ground and decomposed back into dust, from that seed of our existence, we can birth forth into new life again and be resurrected. So part of the significance of Jesus' death and then resurrection is that Jesus is the perfect perfect human. Jesus is the the conquering victor over sin and death itself. And Jesus is the first one who's planted in the ground and then raises into fruitful eternal life. And so us as believers, uh, we become in the atonement super glued to Jesus. So we also die with Jesus to our sin. We also may be buried in the ground literally someday. And yet we too, since we are glued to him and his destiny, we are raised from the ground. We are the seed that is planted and bears fruit into eternity. And we walk in the image of God into eternal life as well. If you're a fan of our podcast, you might know that we did a series on first Peter uh, last season. And uh, one of the things that came up was this idea of ascension. And uh, it sounds like that is kind of like a driving force here that we understand like that image you said earlier of just like Jesus preparing and going and defeating Satan, uh, being the victor and then taking his rightful throne. Um, We'll get to that because I think that's a really important thing, uh, just doubling down on ascension. But I want to ask one of our famous skeptic questions for this uh, episode. I'm hearing a lot of language about, you know, being victorious over sin, uh, defeating it, all these different things. And yet I know in my life, like I still experience sin and I, I, I think I'm a Christian. I, I want to say I'm a Christian, but like if you're a Christian out there, you can probably resonate with this feeling. It's almost like that Romans seven, Romans eight sort of tension. Like I do what I don't want to do and I hate it. And so like, it seems like there's some like, what does it mean that Jesus was victorious over sin and death? Yeah, I think that thinking about Jesus' victory over sin and death, we talked last week about Jesus being in being the image of the invisible God in the sense that he's created in the image and likeness of God on this planet where he does not sin. He's the perfect new Adam who never sinned. Um, And so part of the invitation into followership of Jesus is an invitation growing in Christ likeness. And that is the tension between growing towards that image we see in him, this renewed Imago Dei, and realizing that the presence of sin and even bits of the power of sin still has its claws in us as we live life on this planet, right? So we have Romans 7. We've got this famous tension of I don't understand what I do. Who will rescue me from this body of death? We have Romans 8 where Paul turns the corner and says, but praise be to God through Jesus Christ, right? Through his spirit, the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. And if you read all of Romans, Paul starts to give some teaching around how we can start to kind of get the claws of sin out out of us and start to walk into Christ likeness. And the way that Paul talks about it is through the lens of a power struggle, right? So if Jesus has conquered sin, death, and the enemy in the death, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection of himself, uh, then we need to realize, Paul says, you need to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul has this whole argument in the middle of the book of Romans about how death is still going to come knocking on our door. Sin is going to still start like telling us what to do. I get this image of uh, sin as a lifeguard on a chair with a megaphone telling us to walk or not walk, to do this or do that. And Paul says, no, 
don't listen to it, right? Don't present your members of your body to it anymore. You don't have to listen to its call. You don't have to do what it says. You have a new captain in Jesus who has conquered the enemy. And so it's almost like that illustration of the elephant that's been tied to the post its entire life and you cut the chain and it never leaves the post because it thinks it's still tied to its old tether. And so Paul makes that argument in Romans and says, you are free in Christ Jesus to cooperate with the power of the spirit of God, to walk into Christ likeness, to ignore the voice of the enemy, to ignore the voice of sin inside you. You do not have to present the members of your body to sin as its servants. Instead, Paul says, present yourself as slaves to God and the members of your body to him as slaves to righteousness. And so part of it is kind of this reforming of our lives, knowing we are no longer bound to that old way and we can tether ourselves to Jesus instead. So part of our transformation starts in our minds um, and moves into our actions and behaviors. Let's revisit that ascension topic right now. Um, I notice that when you mentioned ascension and that imagery of Jesus taking his rightful throne, I noticed that you used some royal language and that kind of aligns with this royal image of God, this royal role Um, as image bearers of God. I'm wondering if that ascension has a lot to say about, you know, our role. You've been talking about like becoming like Christ and learning how to live in that forgiveness of sin and learning how to declaw ourselves from the power of sin. Um, I'm wondering if there's a connection there between God's royal ascension in Jesus Christ and this becoming royal image bearers once again. There's absolutely a a connection. I think it's important for us to understand that in the same way in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we're creating the image and likeness of God. We are not God. But at the same time, right, we are, like the psalmist says, lowercase g gods, right? And so there's this uh, tension between God is always supreme. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the king of the king, king of kings. But we on this planet are like these little mini gods who represent him wherever we go and have his spirit inside of us and live in his image and likeness and grow into it. In the same way, we see Jesus ascending to his heavenly throne as the conquering king, the, the king of creation, the artisan king we've been talking about who rules and reigns over all the earth. We will never rule and reign over the all the earth all the earth like Jesus did. But as his image bearers, in the same way, we get language of us in heaven ruling and reigning with Christ as his image bearers. And so in the same way that in Genesis 1, we are these mini versions of God uh, in Acts chapter one, Acts chapter two, in the ascension of Jesus, and we look forward into the kingdom in eternity, we see that we're also image bearers in the sense that we're mini versions of Jesus, even in the kingdom of heaven, that we will rule and reign with him forever and ever and ever. So we do, in a sense, follow him in his ascension, right? We do not sit at the right hand of the throne of God. We are not reigning in the clouds, but we get these images even like in Thessalonians where we will return in the clouds with him as part of his people. And so there is this tension between even in the kingdom of heaven, we are rulers underneath the headship and lordship of our of our primary exclusive ruler, Jesus Christ. This marks the transition in this series from this conversation about why. And hopefully you've got a better grasp of this Imago Day concept. I know it's a lot. Um, we'd love to continue the conversation with you, obviously. But we're going to transition now in the series uh, into more about what we do and how we glorify God. Uh, We've been talking about this concept of starting with the why, 
letting that bleed into how we do what we do. And then it just so happens that we do what we do because we've been equipped with certain things like a body or a spirit, the ability to think, the ability to pray, um, you know, all these different things about us. And so this is kind of where we get practical. How do we glorify God? Uh, what is it that we're called to do? Uh, Pastor Danny, I'm wondering if you can kind of lead us into that uh, segment of the series, just talking about what we should be looking out for practically as we think about how it is we're supposed to then act out of this core identity that we are restored image bearers of God. Yeah, I think a lot of that is living in the truth, not the lie. Like we talked about from Romans that uh, everything in us might say, I'm a slave to sin. I'm a slave to fear. I'm a slave to Satan. I'm a slave to death. The members of my body are trying to destroy me, right? But the truth is like we started in this podcast, our received identity from the outside says, no, you're adopted sons of God. You're heirs of the promises. You no longer have to obey the call of the devil. You are free to live for Jesus. And so I think knowing this why of, hey, you were created in God's image to represent him in this place, to live as his representative, to bring his rulership into the world, to also somehow cooperate with the spirit as artisan kings, extending his presence over planet earth to be fruitful and multiply, raise children who honor God and grandchildren and great grandchildren. Uh, that's the why we exist. And so how we do that is we consistently untether ourselves from the falsities about us and we retether ourselves to the truth that we discover from outside of us. We receive it from Jesus and we learn what it means to walk in this truth. That's why when we see Romans 8, we see that the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. Then we start seeing concepts in the scriptures like keep in step with the spirit and by the spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body. We cooperate with the very presence of God in our lives to begin to walk in this identity that we've discovered from it why we exist on this planet. Awesome. We uh, are going to be diving into different things that we've been armed with as image bearers of God which includes, you know, our body, our spirit, our different abilities that we have because of those things. And uh, it's going to get really practical. How do we glorify God? That's the question that we're going to be trying to answer. How do we glorify God with what we've been given in this world? And how do we uh, fulfill our status as royal image bearers? And uh, at the end of the series, near the end, we're going to be talking about where this is all headed. Um, sort of the end game, per se, of this image-bearing um, concept that we've been talking about. And that's when we'll appear again, Danny, at the very conclusion to wrap up this series. I kind of so. feel like this is like the Headspace app where you're meditating and then the guy's voice pops back in and says, Hey, I'm back. <laughs> How you doing in there? So we'll be popping back with you guys in a couple of weeks. Right on. Right on.